Welcome to your favorite drive-in theater and a sparkling new season. Watch our screen and local newspapers for all the fine shows coming this way. Show after show will feature the latest hits, the biggest stars for fun-filled, pleasure-packed evenings. Relax, come as you are, and spend an enjoyable night out with the entire family. No parking problems, no babysitting problems. And there are always tasty snacks at our modern refreshment stand. Thanks, folks. And once again, welcome back. Monsters and maniacs, creatures and ghosts. What type of horrors will be our show? What's up and welcome to the Horror Cast Drive-In, episode number 97. Uh, these drive-in episodes are episodes that we do, uh, well, we're hoping to do every summer, where we just talk about some older movies, uh, usually from the 50s and 60s, that uh, were popular amongst the drive-in goers. Uh, it was just a big thing back then. Hopefully, because uh, of COVID, they're starting to make a little bit of a comeback. Right, guys? Yep. Just a little bit. So thanks for listening. I'm one of your hosts tonight, Mark Nato. And let's bring in Revenant Vin. What's up, Vin? Hey, what's up? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited about the topic tonight. Uh, not for any individual movie, but I think that we're talking about an individual that maybe doesn't get enough credit in the horror world. Uh, definitely in the fantasy world, but. Okay. Well, we'll, t- we'll talk about exactly who we are going to be talking about in just a minute. Let's bring in Taminator. What's up, Taminator? Hi, guys. Uh, I'm also kind of excited. I, I actually remember whatever genre you want to tie him in with. I just remember being fascinated by his work when I was a young child. So and I don't I don't think he gets the love and the mentioning that he should. OK, well, we'll see. We'll see if uh, the listeners you know, have even heard of this guy. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, uh, maybe um, if you're not into the actual making of the movies and, and, and the how and the special effects, you might not have ever heard of this guy, but, um, so tonight we will be talking about three films featuring the work of Ray Harryhausen. And this is a guy who did a lot of, um, work in really the beginnings of, of, uh, I guess it, what was his thing called? Dynamation. Yeah, in the 50s, that's where they came up with dynamation. Yeah, stop motion, animation, um, you know, all of that stuff that really, that was used, what, for how many years? I mean, is it still used in in some films? I mean... I mean, stop motion? Stop motion wasn't, um, wasn't that... uh, Like kids films is still good. Yeah, kids films. There uh, There was one just a few years ago. What was that? It was about the little Asian boy. 
Kubo and the Five Strings, maybe, or something? Dude, that movie was incredible. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, but that's the same maker of Coraline and mm-hmm. um, Paranormal. Paranormal. And that, that was stop um, motion. Yeah. And and I'm telling you, if you like this sort of thing, it, this is it's not a horror movie, but man, that movie impressed me. And and then I watched a little featurette about the making of it. This is painstaking stuff. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and birthed well, I mean, out of necessity, really, yep. um, because you know, you're thinking about the beginning of movies. I mean, we're 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 talking about movies tonight that are in the 50s. So we we've been around for a while. Movies have been around for a while, but um, you know, putting special effects in movies and kind of trying to make the the movie world a broader you know place and not just for dramas and comedy, but like for action and monsters and aliens and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we didn't have computers. We didn't have CGI. We didn't have all of that. So, uh, you had one group of people and, and you tell me what you, um, enjoy more. Think about like the Japanese Godzilla movies of the, of the fifties. That's a big dude in a suit. You know, uh, I don't even know if he was a big dude. It was it was a, a guy in a, a Godzilla suit, <laughs> and all the buildings and things were miniature. Um, but something like we're going to talk about tonight, where they had the stop motion, um, and these are, I, I guess, just uh, it's almost, is it the same thing as claymation? Right. Yeah, I think they're. I think claymation is maybe a subset of what we're talking about. Or yeah, um, I, I mean, mean, most of the stuff he used, he did make out of clay, but. Can you explain, Vin, what exactly um, the stop motion is, and and what was it about uh, Ray Harryhausen's Dynamotion, which is, I guess, it's basically something he patented. Um, it was his yeah. own stop well, sort motion. of. It, they basically were rebranding animation. Okay. Because when people heard animation in the fifties, they automatically thought it was for kids. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's animating things, except what he's animating is three dimensional, you know, so he's doing three dimensional animation. But if you called the animation in the fifties, no adults would have cared about seeing it, but he called it dynamation really just to get butts in the seats. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like a whole new th- process that he came up with. Although he, every time he does a movie, he was doing something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess this is probably a good time to go kind of go into his bio a little bit. Um, yeah. So, you know, the reason that we're doing this is because, um, you know, he did pass away already, but uh, he would have been 100 this year. So we're kind of doing this as like the 100th anniversary of Harryhausen, uh, doing a little showcasing for the drive-in. So he was born in Los Angeles, California in 1920. Uh, He saw King Kong in 1933 when he was 13 years old, and he was inspired by the animation of Willis O'Brien. And, you know, it's if people haven't seen King Kong, I mean, that movie is still pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, you know, 1933. Once King Kong shows up, that movie doesn't stop. It is just non-stop action. Um, and it's when you think about what they were doing and how primitive <laughs> what they were using was. Because um, one of the things that uh, Harryhausen was able to do was fix some of the problems that they had with King Kong. King Kong looks amazing, except that it always looks like his hair's moving because those are basically the fingerprints of the guys who had to keep. Moving, yeah, oh, you know, moving yeah. the figure. 
Um, and Harryhausen would be the one to kind of figure out ways to fix that stuff in the few, you know, as time went on. Um, so anyway, you know, he was inspired by King Kong. He started making his own animated shorts, which were mostly like dinosaurs fighting each other. Um, mm-hmm. And that, when he was younger, he also met Ray Radbury. Um, and they had a major love of fantasy and dinosaurs, and they basically became lifelong best friends. Um, and of course, Ray Bradbury is going to come into our story later on when <laughs> we're talking tonight. Um, he worked with George Powell, who was another pioneer of stop motion animation um, in his puppet toon shorts. In World War II, in the U.S. military service, he worked with Frank, Frank Capra um, as part of their, you know, their filmmaking division. Um, I don't know exactly the name for it, but mm-hmm. um, he uh, he made a series like Mother Goose animated shorts that they look amazing still. Uh, in 1947, he was hired as assistant to what turned out to be his first major film, and that was Mighty Joe Young. So he had, got to work with his hero, Willis O'Brien, uh, and he did about 90% of the animation for that. Um, Willis O'Brien had like m- the creative control, but uh, he was mostly doing the animation for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's like a big gorilla, you know, uh, except this one actually moved like a gorilla, unlike King Kong. Um, his parents were extremely supportive. I think it's kind of cool that his father was actually a skilled machinist and he made all of the armatures and even like the flying saucers that we're going to talk about later. He made all those things for Ray. Uh, Ray gave him the designs and he would make them like in his machine shop. Um, and he did all those design, all those specifications and created those until he died in the mid sixties. By 1960, he had moved his operations, uh, to the UK because there are more favorable facilities uh, to accomplish his, his effects. And he pretty much lived there the rest of his life. Um, and we're going to be discussing his first three feature-length films, um, for which he was responsible for the visual effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think anybody would argue that there's best work, uh, or you know, the best movies that he's attached to, but they are impressive in their own right. Um, but I do just want to kind of talk about his filmography real quick. I don't think a lot of people realize some of these things are Harryhausen. But um, so the first scene we're going to be talking about tonight, 1953, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. 1955, It Came from Beneath the Sea. Um, in 1956, he did a part of a documentary for the animal world, which were dinosaurs fighting each other. Um, then 1956, his third feature-length film uh, is Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Mm-hmm. And then the following year after that, you've got 20 Million Miles to Earth, uh, which we're not reviewing, but I did watch. And... It is actually like a major step up in visual effects from his already impressive earlier stuff. Um, those effects are really well integrated. He gives his creature like this wonderful kind of pathos. You can see it thinking and reacting. Um, and you kind of see Harryhausen acting through his his creations. And it's really kind of it's it's kind of a, a tragic creature feature, kind of in the an ode to King Kong in a certain way. But that one's really mm-hmm. worth checking out. In 58, he wanted to do something different, so he did uh, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, um, getting into more adventure, fantasy. Uh, 1960, The Three Worlds of Gulliver. 1961, Mysterious Island, based on Jules Verne. 1963, Jason the Argonauts, which was his personal favorite film, and many consider that to be his best. Uh, no. In 1964. Did, yeah. didn't, didn't that one, that had the skeleton, the fighting yeah. skeletons. Yeah, yeah. And that, that did a lot of uh, inspiring Evil Dead too. I think. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yep. It's it's still a really cool scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's impressive. Um, yeah, 1964, he did The First Men in the Moon, uh, based on H.G. Wells. In 1966, he worked with Hammer Films, um, and he did One Million Years B.C. with Raquel Welch. Mm. Uh, 1969, he did The Valley of Guanji. 
um, at Cowboys wrestling up some dinosaurs. Um, and that was either, it was either a pet project of Willis O'Brien or George Powell. It was one of them that they didn't like live to see finish. And he kind of, he was finishing that kind of thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, 73, he did the Golden Voyager Sinbad. 77, he did Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger. And then 1981, he did Clash of the Titans, which is what I grew up knowing him as. Um, That's and after, right. yeah. And after that, he actually retired. Um, that was the first film for which he found the need to hire a team to assist him because there was so much. And also, by that point, Star Wars had so greatly kind of changed the game and special effects that he kind of felt like it was time to, you know, hang up his clay, so to speak. Um, and he died in 2013 at the age of 92. Um, but <clears throat> more importantly, I think that no matter the film's director or actors, like he didn't direct any of those films that I'm talking about, right? Um, yeah. But you know, you always know it as a Harryhausen film. You know, he he always did the animation himself. I mean, it was literally just him and maybe a guy that would click the camera, and that's it. Uh, and he not only animated it, he designed it, he built it, he directed the special effects sequences for a lot of the films um, with the actors. He figured out how to integrate it into live action. And he often worked like 20-hour days to get the job done. And these films, they definitely didn't always have the best scripts, the best acting, or the best directing. But they always had amazing special effects, and that's really why we watch them still. Uh, he was a screen magician. He gave us monsters and creatures that would have been impossible to have been done with a guy in a suit. And that's the big thing that separates him from something like Godzilla and the Kaiju, is he gave us things that, you know, the legs bend the, the other way, or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, something that a person could not get into. And up until that point in time, it was impossible to see something like that brought to life in front of you in that way. You know, he, he basically, he expanded the possibilities of our dreams and nightmares. You know, uh, when you see stop motion animation, you know it's not real. And it's not supposed to look completely real. It's fantasy. Um, but even if you understand the basic stop motion, you're still left wondering exactly how he pulled it off. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still engaged in the magic of it all. And he, you know, goes without saying, he inspired today's and yesterday's monster makers. Um, and Harry has, and he's just, he's really... I think a giant of 20th century monster cinema that doesn't often get talked about within the horror genre. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that we have to look at this, um, you know, through the eyes of somebody going to the movies in the fifties, you know, like, like to mm-hmm. us, of course we, we look at that and we're like, oh, it's just not, um, something that we would expect, you know, with all of the special effects that we're used to nowadays, you know, with, um, uh, you know, like the Avengers movies and the star Wars movies and stuff, but you got to think like what this is like, they're seeing this stuff and they're blown away by what's happening on the screen. And, um, it really did pave the way for, for a lot. And, and I, I agree with you. A lot of the, uh, stuff nowadays, stop motion is just children's stuff, and and probably just because of the advent of CGI, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. It's kind of like a lost art, um, except for those uh, stop motion few. is labor intensive, man. It's <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's easy to screw yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into the first of our triple feature tonight, and we're going to go in chronological order. Um, like you said, Ray Harryhausen had been the assistant, but really did 
most of the work on Mighty Joe Young, which is, is a really good movie, by the way. If you haven't seen Mighty Joe Young, I think that's really a, a really good movie. And I like, I even like the remake. Did you see the remake of that? I just, you know. Uh, when, when it first came out, I don't remember much about it, though. Watch it. Watch it. Because when it was in, a, in an age where everyone was doing the CGI and stuff, and they did animatronics and uh, real it was real practical effects so pretty cool but we're going to go to 1953's the beast from 20,000 fathoms it is one hour and 20 minutes came out on june 13th 1953 uh it's a horror sci-fi it was directed by eugene uh, i think it's Laurie. uh i guess he might be french <laughs> i'm not sure um the screenwriter was Lou Morheim and Fred Freiberger. And it stars, uh, again, I didn't see anybody that I really recognized in these movies. Did you? Like as a... No. Yeah. So... Uh, uh, oh, one of them, definitely. Just just one of them? Okay. Yeah. Well. Kenneth Toby. Well, yeah, two in this one. Okay. Kenneth Toby and Lee Van Cleef. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Leaving, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't think of what they were in. But Paul uh, Hubschmid, I think that's his name, uh, as Professor Tom Nesbitt. Paula Raymond as Lee Hunter. C- Cecil uh, Kellaway, Professor Thurgood Elson. Kenneth Toby as Colonel Jack Evans. Donald Woods as Captain Phil Jackson. Lee Van Cleef as Corporal Stone. Uh, Steve Brody as Sergeant Loomis. And, you know, just a host of other character actors in here. Um, why don't we go ahead and roll the, uh, the trailer when we get back? We'll talk about it. I say there are things better left unsolved. what waits for us in nature's no man's land. Impossible, unbelievable, fantastic, but I tell you it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. Yes, it could happen. For various authorities believe that buried somewhere under the polar ice cap, in a state of suspended animation, are the awesome creatures the leviathans that roamed the earth at the dawn of time. And under certain conditions, a nuclear explosion could free one from his icy tomb. Then, guided by instinct, the beast would come back, back to the caverns of the deepest Atlantic where it was spawned. An armored giant, wreaking his prehistoric fury on modern man and his puny machines. Cities would be terrorized by the cruel intruder from the past. Populations crazed and panicked with fear by its destructive force. Granite and steel would crumble. Soldiers and their weapons would be powerless before the onslaught of the beast. The beast. The beast. The beast from 20,000 fathoms. Herald Square, 34th Street, Broadway. Every section of the city is guarded. No one knows where the monster will strike next. Another one, Colonel? No. 
You know what a radioactive isotope is? No, but if it can be loaded, I can fire it. I'll load it. Just remember one thing. This is the only isotope of its kind this side of Oak Ridge, so you can't miss. We are back, and this is a very simple story. A ferocious dinosaur awakened by an Arctic atomic test terrorizes the North Atlantic and ultimately New York City. So uh, let's, uh, let's bring in Vin. What did you think about this movie? Had you seen it before, and what were your first impressions? Um, I hadn't seen this whole movie before, but I was very familiar with the trailer. Uh, there is, there's a, you know, I teach, I teach middle school. Um, and there's a lesson I put together for my students that kind of introduced them to the effects of the atomic bomb. Uh, and also the kind of the fear and trauma that resulted in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I show them clips from the 1954 Godzilla and we kind of compare the kaiju's damage to atomic damage, etc. And by the end of it, they have a better understanding of what Godzilla meant to the Japanese in the 1950s. And they're introduced to the idea of kind of looking at popular culture and media as historical artifacts. Uh, and to look at a movie, television show, song, or whatever, and to view it kind of as a historical text, right? And what it can teach you about the time period that produced it. And I also show them examples of American films that deal with nuclear feel, fears, um, including the last scene of them. <laughs> uh, and most especially, we watch the trailer for this film, you know, The Beast of 20,000 Fathoms, because it's so on the nose. You know, you see like a mushroom cloud and floating heads talking about how we're tapping into things mankind wasn't meant to know and who knows what new terrors they'll unlock. Uh, and then we've got like a creature rampaging and a voiceover talks about how man's military might is useless against it and steel mm-hmm. and brick crumble before it, you know, and they might as well be describing the nuclear bomb. Um, so we discuss as a class how societies cope with fears and, you know, one way being that they make monsters um, of them and tell stories about how they can be conquered. Um, so they see that giant lizards are not what Americans feared in the early 1950s. It was the new destructive power they represented. And admittedly, the trailer stresses these fears a little more than the film does, but it's clearly tapping into them. And, um, I do think it's an interesting thing that we're seeing with this. Cause I mean, during this time we did see a lot of narratives about, American cities being destroyed by monsters. You know, there, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are a few things I think going on with this. Like first you've got a certain guilt or fear <laughs> at what America brought upon the Japanese that that stuff will in turn be loosed upon us, you know? Uh, so seeing American cities um, in rubble kind of feeds into that fear and fascination. You know, in tonight's film, we're going to, in tonight's films that we're going to talk about we're going to see new york san francisco and washington dc getting pummeled <laughs> mm-hmm. and also you know the 1950s were also a time of white flight when white americans were leaving cities in huge numbers and retreating to the suburbs and of course most non-whites couldn't afford to move uh and if they were they were discouraged or outright threatened if they tried to go into certain suburbs um and this is in the north as well as in the south uh so the city kind of became to be seen by white suburbanites as an ethnic place of like crime and squalor and they accused non-whites of letting the cities fall into ruin. So urban areas were already kind of being seen as at least partly destroyed. So, I mean, and what's curious about these these monsters attacking cities films is that the cities are almost entirely white. 
You know, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. I, I think in this movie, in all three of these movies, there's one piece of stock footage of an Asian woman. <laughs> that's like that. That's that I saw. That was like a, an operator, you know, a phone operator. And I think that's it. Um, you know, the threat, the threat almost destroys them. And you know, then white authority kind of comes in to make things right again. And of course, in the latter half of the decade, we see the horror move into the suburbs. But until then, there's this kind of American preoccupation with seeing cities destroyed for the reasons I mentioned. Um, so you know, that's a long way of saying that I did have fun with this film and especially for those reasons that I was talking about. Cause that's kind of the lens that I was watching this whole thing through. All right. What about you, Tammy? Had you seen this before? What are your first impressions? Um, I hadn't seen any of these before and I kind of went into them really blindly. Uh, like a lot of the Harry Housen stuff that I think about, I think about like from the seventies on stuff that I saw when I was young. Um, of the three movies that we watched, this one was by far my favorite. And right away, and this was the first one that I watched of the three, right away I could start seeing how much of what he did went on to, even though he's not necessarily associated with horror movies, you could just start to see where so much of what he had done went on to you know, influence people later. This movie, I got some of the Thing vibes from it. Just kind of that, you know, we awaken this monster in the Arctic and... Uh, all hell breaks loose from there and you could kind of i thought i'm like wow they're really imitating godzilla with this movie and then when i was done i kind of started reading a little more into it to see that actually it's the other way around it's like this was the first movie to follow that you know creature comes and takes over the city and, and i mean that story was retold how many times throughout the 50s and you know lays waste to mankind and all that he's built. And what mm-hmm. I have got to say that Harry Hausman's miniature building skills, like of the cities and everything. I mean, we always think of the creatures, but he had to build a whole entire like sets to go with this so that they looked as good as they did. It, it was just incredible what he was able to do. And then I read that he did most of this by himself. I can see why he ended up working like, 20 hour days mm-hmm. or whatever but he's it was just i mean we've talked in some of these in the other driving movies that we've watched about how we really appreciate when they give a lot of love and care to detail and you could just see everything about what he was doing it it looks so incredible because there was so much like put into the scale and how everything moved and you know when a creature's stomping through a city and people are running everywhere and cars are getting thrown each one of those things has to move in stop motion you know mm-hmm. and it's just in- incredible what he was able to do so in a way this movie's kind of like kind of follows like a a pat formula a little bit but you could see it. it's the one that got the ball rolling and it's it was just really enjoyable from beginning to end and i loved the creature the retosaurus i don't even know if that's a mm. real dinosaur or what it is but it's not i mean no. <laughs> it's not okay <laughs> yeah. uh, it was incredible it's really good i really liked it yeah i i'm just coming in with mine and i was the same way with you uh is with you tammy is uh i got the thing vibes and that's probably because of the arctic you know awaken a monster that was frozen in a block of ice and you've also got toby keith he was the captain in the thing from another world so oh really this is not the guy you want to go to the arctic with i'm not (laughs) i am not great at 
replacing these older actors. Now that you you know talk about Kenneth Toby and I looked him up, you know, okay, well, number one, he's in It Came From Beneath the Sea. Right. <laughs> I, I, I did know that. I knew it was the same dude because he basically played the same character. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just, I got that vibe. I like the storyline. I do think that these kinds of movies sometimes suffered from like the, the scripts weren't all great. Like they're they're this one and the next one we'll talk about. They, they try to force like a romance yeah. type yeah. thing in. I'm, I'm not interested in, in that at all. Um, I just want to see the daggone monster and, <laughs> and all that. I, I like the fact that this guy who sees the, the monster, he, he, no one believes him. And, um, you know, everyone's thinking he needs to go to the funny farm or to the, the psychic ward or what a psychic, the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, the, the psych psychic. ward. Yes. So he can tell the future, uh, the psych yeah. ward. And, uh, you know, finally other people start weighing in and, uh, yeah, this is a real thing. And then, uh, with, with the, uh, the miniatures, I say what you should do is to go and look on IMDb and just look through some of the stills of this movie. And you can definitely tell, you know, where the miniatures are in. Like there's a, there's a big shot of the, the, what's it, what's it called? Redosaurus? Redosaur, yeah. Redosaurus. Redosaurus, whatever. And it looks really cool. I mean, of course you, you, you can tell that it's clay, but it looks really cool. It's a good design. Um, it's kind of like that dinosaur slash like dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see like the little cars, uh, you know, and, and you can tell they're like matchboxy type cars. And but in the buildings with the fire escapes and stuff, I mean, it, it's very well done. And then you see other pictures where it's kind of flawlessly put into like a, there's a the real um scene where there's people running and there's real cars and real buildings and here's this monster in the middle of it and it, it looks pretty good i mean even yeah. to this day that that still looks really good did you yeah. guys look into how he did those integrations no but i think no. that's what I think that's what he was basically, you know, when I, when I asked what the difference was between stop motion and in his dying emotion or whatever, I think yeah. what he was really good at was integrating with yeah, the live the background in the foreground. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's what he really, basically they, they would like, they would film like the people screaming and running or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And then, and he would kind of have that being played on like a rear projection. And then he'd have the model set up and then he'd have something in the foreground as well. And he would just go frame by frame with the movie. And every time the frame would move, he'd go and he'd move the creature and, and then, and he'd be taking a whole picture of the whole thing. So he'd have another camera taking a picture. So he's making a whole new movie basically when he's doing this stuff. Um, and it, it works. It works really well. Yeah. That's crazy. That is so time intensive. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that is crazy. Like, um, inserted some, you could tell there was like a third 
kind of media used or whatever where they were, he would insert some like what looked like actual like military footage of planes or some yeah. sort of like oh, yeah. real a lot footage. of stock footage in these things <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, exactly but it made it like instead of sticking some fake military airplane in there he threw in like or he or whoever not maybe he didn't do it but whoever made that choice made it really believable they like actually you know use the real thing mm-hmm. yeah that's, just, that's the thing that believable just thinking, you know, this is only eight years after World War II, and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the war years gave them tons of stock footage, you know, they, oh, yeah. whether it was newsreel or, you know, military footage, whatever it might have been. I mean, you can see that Hollywood had a lot to play with yeah. <laughs> with these, yes. yeah. this footage. Yeah. And there, there was some great sets in this. Um, oh, I, I like yes. the lighthouse set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, man, blown away by the... Uh, the roller coaster set. Me too. At the end, yeah. that was really imaginative, and the whole fire that went yep. along with it. Um, you know, I'm looking at a picture of these two guys. I'm I'm sure one of them is Ray Harryhausen, just standing next to the roller coaster, and it's just so neat, man. It's very intricate. The time it would have taken. And then did they have to make several because it gets all smashed up and eaten up? Do you only get one take or do they make a couple roller coasters? You know, I mean, it was just uh, so intricate. Yeah. yeah. So definitely uh, have a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation for, you know, the, the painstaking artistry that goes into stuff like this. This is uh, so I, I kind of overlook the fact that the script isn't that great, that they try to shoehorn a romance into every single one of these daggone things. Yeah. Um, In the next film, it's even worse, honestly. Oh, my gosh. It's <laughs> so bad. It's, it's so, so bad. bad. <laughs> it's almost like a love triangle. I was like, can, yeah. we, can we get mm-hmm. on with this? So I, I would say that th- this movie is is great if you want to see like the early dynamotion type stuff and, and see him like really stretching his legs to see what he can do. Cause I, I think it's, I think it's really neat. And I, I, I kind of, I kind of uh, prefer this over big guy in a rubber suit, you know, yeah. not, not that the Godzilla movies that those aren't neat in, in their own right. But again, it's not as much work. You know what I'm saying? They, like, of course, they had to build the cities and the miniatures and stuff. But like, they somebody built a suit, and then some guy got in it and and did the acting. And that's yeah. not, you know, this is so much more painstaking than that. There, I mean, there wouldn't be a Godzilla without this movie. You know, this is the movie that inspired the Japanese to actually go ahead with making Godzilla. You know, um, was God, was Godzilla even a um, a thing? Or was Godzilla no. created from no, it was this? Created then, yeah, it was created. Yeah, oh, that's cool. So I mean, yeah, it was only this, a year this later. movie is, yeah, yep. Um, it, this movie is it is the blueprint for giant creature features. You know, this is the first one, and I think it's easy to forget that when people see it. There's nothing, you know, they don't predate this. Um, there, you know, unless, we we see the blueprint. King Kong. Uh, yeah, but that's a different type of movie, right? It, it's yeah. Um, yeah, in this one you have, you have like the early encounter with the creature, 
mm-hmm. right? And then people are accused of being crazy for trying to warn others of it. And then it arrives and starts destroying stuff until a team up of like military and scientists destroy it. Um, you know, it, it's this is the movie we see over and over and over again. <laughs> and we're going to see the same thing in the next movie, you know? Yeah. It's called Operation Experiment. You don't get more generic than that in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, they, they do a good job with it, though. You know, I, I like, I do actually like how they they integrate the atomic test footage with shots mm-hmm. of, like, the ice and snow crashing in the beginning. Um, yeah. You know, I was really impressed in the very beginning of, like, the Arctic landscape and how it looks during this blizzard. And uh, I thought all that stuff was actually really good. You know, you were talking about sets. I thought that I was actually really impressed with that one. That's my very first note that I wrote down was how good the Arctic set was. I saw a quote by Ray Harryhausen that's uh, where he was saying, like, Hollywood always liked to glamorize the story, and he wanted to glamorize the monsters and i think yeah. he did exactly that yeah he's why you go to these movies yes you know <laughs> he is why he is what you're going there to watch i think mm-hmm. kenneth toby's great i love kenneth toby uh and i think he had a great he seemed to have a great uh attitude about his career you know all the way going through um but uh man you show up to see harry Housens, you know yeah. and he's the one that's not on the screen but you he you show up to see his work i mean it's sort of like um think about Rick Baker, you know, back in the eighties, you know, mm-hmm. people who were into special effects and stuff. Well, even you think Rick like Baker Tom was, Savini, you yeah, know, Tom Savini, like yep. his, his effects aren't in the best movies, <laughs> no. you know, um, without those effects, I don't think anybody would really be watching those movies. Yep. Uh, you know, for the most part, I mean, he's why you go up and show that he's why you watch like the prowler. Yep. You know, it, you're not going there to watch an amazing film. Otherwise, uh, you're going there to see Savini's effects, right? Yeah. Um, you don't uh, watch the burning because you want to see a bunch of campers, you know, like sexually <laughs> assault each other practically. Yeah. No, you go there to watch people's fingers get chopped off, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it, you know, it's a Savini film. So you're going to go, you're going to go see that. And it's kind of the same kind of thing. You know, it's, yep. it's the guys behind the scenes that are why we go yeah. to them. One of the shots that I love, and you could tell it's a direct inspiration for Jurassic Park, but when you get the cop being eaten, yes, you see him get picked up and the legs kicking and everything like that. Yeah, that was probably. That goes back to what you guys were talking about, like the the back footage mixed with his creature, you know. Mm-hmm. And didn't is this the movie that had the great shark fighting the octopus? No. Yeah, that's like my. Yeah, no, this this was it. Yeah, this was it. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's an octopus in the other movie, but there was some random inserted footage of like a real shark fighting yeah, a real, real octopus. That's like my main dislike. Yeah, I was this. somehow thinking that was the second movie, but yeah, because uh, it's obviously just a shark and an octopus in an aquarium. Yeah. And I really, it wasn't obvious to me that they were supposed to be gigantic. You know, yeah. like yes. you, because yeah. that's when like the the professor guy is like underneath the water, right? Yes. And it's like diving bell yes. or something. Yep. 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 Oh yeah, yeah, diving. yeah, yeah. That was hilarious. Like, yeah. He was in that like that iron thing, <laughs> yeah. and like he's going down there just in a suit. Yeah, like he has yeah, no. He, you he know, didn't survive like, it either. No, it was hilarious. Yeah. It was hilarious, <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that was uh, that was pretty r- ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Were they really fighting? I mean, I don't. I guess so. I think that the octopus got eaten. It looked like yeah. it. It should yeah. look like it. <laughs> that was too funny. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's. It, I like seeing the actual shooting locations in New York. 
mm-hmm. was kind of cool, like seeing people running down like you know Wall Street and stuff like that. Uh, good building destruction. Um, <laughs> some of the extras are not the best actors during the attacks. Oh. Uh, you could t- <laughs> their expressions look more confused than anything, and they can't yeah. stop looking at the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not Harryhausen's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I um, like I said, I can o- I can overlook some of the bad scripts and some of the the bad acting, and just realize this is this is paving the way. <laughs> for for a lot of good stuff yeah. to come, but I thought that the the monster being a germ carrier was actually kind of a cool twist. I was just gonna say that. Me too. Oh, sorry, and I'm okay. Just, no, no, it's okay. Um, I think that has to probably to do with the Hiroshima too, right? Like, because if if you yeah. didn't die, it's like bomb, radiation sickness or yeah, another way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's amazing about this is that the production budget, from what I read, it had a budget of two hundred thousand dollars. Ray Harryhausen was only giving five thousand dollars for special effects. <laughs> what? Where the heck did the other hundred and ninety-five thousand? Seriously, come? though, I mean, <laughs> like that's incredible. That's amazing. I yeah, mean, because there, there were no big, big-name actors in this, right? So you're not. No, paying, I mean, like, a lot of stock footage, which yeah, they yeah, probably I don't know that or not. I guarantee you this daggone director pocketed that. <laughs> yeah. And this I, is the one that's based on a Ray Bradbury short story. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so today's published Ray as Bradbury the Fog Maybe Ray Bradbury got half of it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, this that would have been some pull to the box office to have, because it was a popular story that yeah. was originally published in the uh, Saturday Evening Post. Um, okay. And it was published under the title The Beast in 20,000 Fathoms. And then when he anthologized it in his own work it was called the foghorn but um that would have been a big draw for people to see something based on ray bradbury and it was it was very successful it was one of the um highest grossing movies of 1953 yeah yep so it was it was definitely successful um they said that uh they really got inspired to do this because they re-released king kong in 1952 Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like a big hit, so they were like, "Hey, let's while this is let's strike while the iron's hot," you know. Yeah. And um, some little uh, tidbits here: the Coney Island amusement park in the film is actually the Long Beach amusement park in Long Beach, California, and they were able to film at the park from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. So I guess that's probably when they were there at the, with the roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, the dinosaur skeleton in the museum is artificial. <laughs> no <It> was, kidding. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a fake uh, looking skeleton, man. <laughs> it was it was brought out of storage because it had been used in the movie Bringing Up Baby, nineteen thirty eight. Oh, and I when I said that I um, didn't recognize any actors, I, I did recognize an actor, and do you know who it was? Mm-mm. Come on. I like Christmas movies. Anybody? Anybody? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm blinking. Yeah, one of the one of the guys, I guess they were looking at the radar or whatever for the beast or whatever, and they noticed the radar. Uh he was Alfred in um Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. The oh. janitor <laughs> that liked playing Santa Claus. He was like a young kind of like, yeah, I was like, I've seen that movie like three billion times. So I, I, I'd recognized him immediately. So 
I mean, I thought it was interesting having like a Swiss protagonist. I'm not sure exactly why they went that way, but it's interesting to not have like a you know all American boy as your your main hero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. 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 That is strange because it didn't really have any any point to the story. Like it, there wasn't any. No, and they even mentioned that like he you know he had come to the country and stuff like that. So I just thought that was interesting. Um. I got a couple more little tidbits here that I find very interesting. Um, this Redosaurus creature makes a brief cameo appearance in Planet of the Dinosaurs in 1977. Hmm. It appears briefly near the end of the film and is killed by the larger Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> so I guess, was that another uh, Harryhausen movie? Planet of I Dinosaurs? I don't think so. Maybe it was something paying homage to him. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's weird. Because it's, it's not a real dinosaur either, so I don't think he would have put it in there yeah. if it was actually supposed to be a real dinosaur. He, yeah. That's something that he was actually really passionate about. Um, you know, he, he he loved dinosaurs, and he wanted to get them as accurate as possible. I mean, this is like a fantasy film. He didn't, you know, this was to make a movie monster. But when he yeah. did do uh, dinosaurs, I mean, he was trying to be as faithful to artist interpretations as possible. The roller coaster is uh, the cyclone racer in the Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California. So that miniature that was burned down at the end, that was an exact replica of the Cyclone Racer. Uh, I can't so, imagine what it would take to make that. Yep. Those little pieces. <laughs> Pop, just pops it. Sickle sticks. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good stuff, though. It, it is good stuff. If you like these kind of sci-fi, you know, big monster movies, this is a, this is a good one. This is a good one because I don't think anybody really uh, goes into these expecting like a, f- a phenomenal script or hundred <laughs> percent great acting. Right, uh, like you said, you're you're going for the creature, you're going for uh, Harryhausen. So, and I think what this movie does pretty well too is it peppers the monster in throughout the film. You know, we yeah. see it in the beginning. We keep seeing it show up in different places. Unlike like the next movie we're gonna watch, like it, there's not enough monster. It, you uh-huh. know, I'm, I'm giving that away already. You know, for <laughs> the idea, yeah. you know, of, of that one, there's not enough monster in the first half. But this one actually kind of gives us stuff along the way, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and uh, rate this thing and move on to our second one. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give this one a seven out of ten. Uh, again, thinking that uh, I, I'm rating this with kind of other large creature type movies. I'm not rating this against citizen Kane or it's wonderful life or anything like that. You know, um, it's a, it's a solid seven out of 10. And I, and I would say, I would say six and a half of that comes from the stop motion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you, Tammy? Um, like you, I'm going to say, remind that I am putting this up against other large creature feature movies, which Creature feature movies are a real, just a comfort zone for me. I really enjoy them. Um, I got to give this one an eight and a half. I think just in comparison to well, some of the others that we are going to talk about tonight and some other, I mean, a lot of them, this is a kind of, or you think of those kind of movies, you're just kind of putting them on and you do, it doesn't take a lot of concentration. You know, you're just just there to be entertained where this one, I don't know. It just had a little bit more going for it. 
and I can really see where it had it went on to influence other movies after it. So I have to give it its props for that. So yeah, I'm going with an eight and a half. You know what? I'm going to change mine. I'm going to change mine. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm giving it an extra half, seven and a half out of 10. Okay. I don't know. I, I'm telling you that these first two movies really blurred together for me. I think because of the acting and all that. So, but, um, yeah, seven and a half. How about you, Vin? Uh, I'm where Tammy is also at an eight and a half. Um, for all these scores, I mean, you know, you, you already said you got to put it into context. Um, but also at least two of these points for every score that I'm giving is purely for Ray Harryhausen. You know, if it wasn't him that did it, it would probably be a 6.5. Um, you don't go to these films to see, anything but Ray Harryhausen stuff. But that being said, yeah, there's some, it's not the greatest stuff that we're seeing in this, but it's still entertaining. It still kept my interest. It moved along. It didn't get too sluggish in places. Uh, you know, like I said, it kept peppering the, uh, the creature in, um, you know, it just, when I thought it was going to start lulling, okay, now we're going to have a lighthouse attack or something. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> and when the, when the thing rampages through New York, it's pretty great stuff. Um, oh my, it's so great. Yeah. I, I love that stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm 8.5. Um, again, it's, it's the first of its kind. There wouldn't be a Godzilla without this film. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's deserving of that score. I think. Very good. Well, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to get into It Came From Beneath the Sea. And now, meet the star of our show. Symbol of a treat that quality made famous. America's most famous ice cream treat, Eskimo Pie. Creamy, delicious ice cream made even more exciting with smooth, rich chocolate coating. And wearing the label of quality known the world over. Eskimo Pie, the treat you know is tops because it carries its pledge of quality right on the back of the bag. Be sure you save the bags for valuable premiums. Get famous Eskimo Pie at our refreshment stand now. It's America's anytime taste treat. Finest ice cream, finest chocolate. It's delicious. All right, we are back. And... The second movie in our triple feature is It Came From Beneath the Sea, 1955, just two years later. One hour and 19 minutes, horror sci-fi. Came out in July of 1955. Uh, Director is Robert Gordon. Writers, uh, George Worthing Yates wrote the screenplay with uh, Harold Jacob Smith. And it stars, again, Kenneth Toby playing a really chauvinist, uh, <laughs> Navy guy or whatever. Um, uh, Faith is it? Dumagure. I don't. I don't know. D o m e r g u e. Dumagure. Dumagure. I don't know. Donald Curtis, uh, Ian Keith, Dean Maddox Jr., Chuck Griffiths, and Harry Louder. Uh, that's basically anyone that you would know. And uh, let's go ahead and run this trailer. When we get back, we're going to talk about our first impressions. A tidal wave of terror engulfs the screen as a raging monster from the dawn of creation attacks the world of man. 
Here, gentlemen, is your villa. We take an enormous number of those to disable a Navy submarine. Or just one of enormous size, Mr. Chase. I see they picked an atom sub to go out and fight this thing. Why is that, Commander? Couldn't be because of the new electronic equipment or her speed. Was she ordered back here from Hawaii just for that? That's right. I think it's as bad as that, do you? I think we're lucky she's here. The H-bomb blasted it loose from the depths of the Pacific. But not even the H-bomb can kill it. Unknown object coming this way. Entering minefield. Stand by number 38, mine. Fire. Go up. Ready number 12, south. Fire. Coming on through. That's the end of our first line of defense, Miss Joyce. Then the red alert. under holocaust as the men and weapons of the atomic age battle to the death against the ageless monster of the deep all right we are back quick synopsis very simple a giant radioactive octopus rises from the Philippine trench to terrorize the North American Pacific coasts. Uh, I'm going to let um, Taminator go first this time. What'd you think? Well, unfortunately, I believe it was only a quintuplus, wasn't it? I think he only had five legs. Six of um, us. Six of us. He had six. He had six legs. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, I've never even guys. counted. What were you doing <laughs> counting legs? <laughs> well, I think I was. it's just because it was like too hard to stop motion eight legs, so they went with six. And this also had like a I, micro budget, and he couldn't afford to do the other legs. Anyway, man, this thing was a chore to get through because of the actors. It has nothing to do with the hair. It, it has all... Well, a lot of the good things that the first movie we talked about had as far as the movie goes and the creature and all that is there. The, the mm-hmm. sets, the miniatures, everything. But the people and the love triangle, if that's exactly what it, what it was. You know, it seems like uh, some of the formula here is there's a good-looking woman scientist. And normally, I'd be like, yay, yep. girl power. <laughs> oh, my God. This woman, Professor Leslie Joyce, who is like kind of having a three-way with... The Navy guy and then her her scientist um, mentor, I guess. She uh, she is nails on a chalkboard, and I I just everything about her is just gives women a bad name. There's nothing redeeming about her, and Kenneth Toby plays a complete douchebag in this movie, and just the two of them together. And unfortunately, we get way 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 too little creatures in this. I mean, I would give maybe 20% of the movie has creatures in it, and the whole rest of it is given over to the stupid love triangle between these three people. And unfortunately, that completely ruined it for me. But since this is a Harryhausen 
you know, we're trying to concentrate on that. I mean, all that part is great. And the creature is actually this ginormous octopus, which looks really, really great. And I hadn't seen this before, but I do know that I've seen clips of the giant octopus. And, you know, of course, it looks great. It's a Harryhausen, but I, I just couldn't get past the people. So, eh. All right. What about you, Vin? I, I know I had seen this, or at least parts of it, many years ago. Um, it, it was long enough ago, though, that I didn't realize that it was a Harryhausen film. Um, but I do remember finding a lot of it boring. <laughs> um, and I vaguely remembered the attack on the beach that happens. Um, so, you know, my memories of it were fairly indifferent. Uh, but I was I was glad to find a color copy of this one to watch. I think that helped, um, and I think it made it more enjoyable. I was able to watch this one with my son, um, and I can at least enjoy the fake Hawaiian views that were going on uh, and all their color splendor. Um, and this movie again, it, it follows the blueprint pretty much that we saw in the Beast of Twenty Thousand Fathoms, and even that we end up seeing in them. Um, but it does it without adding anything new. Kind of like Tammy said, you know, I think by this point, knowing the formula. Um, that had already been done several times already. It was, I was definitely more impatient with it. I think like Tammy was, uh, but nevertheless, I mean, this is Harryhausen once again, delivering on a shoestring budget. Um, and he can't be faulted for the rest of the film. Uh, he's the MacGyver of monster effects. Um, and the rampage at the end, I think is still some pretty great stuff. I love the flamethrowers, especially. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, the rampage is great. Um, at the end, but yeah, it is, it is a slog to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just thought same thing with Tammy. Uh, not enough monster. Uh, I did enjoy the 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 monster scenes. Thought it was well done. Again, thinking about the sets, they were not allowed to shoot on the actual Golden Gate Bridge. So guess what? Harry Housen made a miniature uh, yeah. Golden Gate Bridge, and uh, it looks fantastic. It really does. Looks fantastic. And I didn't know, was this originally um, released in black and white? I'm yes, sure it, it was. was. I, I rented the colorized version. Did you guys rent, rent yeah, the colorized yeah. version? Well, yeah, I rented the yeah, color one on Prime. I did too, but I didn't, uh, I didn't even know there was a black and white. I didn't know that it was a black and white. And you know what? I think it, I mean, the black and white might have helped it. You know what I'm saying? What yeah, now that you say that, yeah. Do you think, In like, high- I'll say this. Um, it's similar to, um, if you've ever seen The Mist, have you ever seen The Mist? Mm-hmm. The yeah, Stephen King film? Yeah. Okay, there's some CGI in that that's a little wonky. And if you watch the color version, that is it's a lot uh, more noticeable. But they did a black and white version of the mist that's only on the blu-ray and man it makes the movie like 10 times better i've uh, heard that i've never oh, seen yeah. it but i've heard every I time i watch the mist white, i watch the black and white the black and white might help a little bit with integrating harryhausen's effects yeah but i don't think it does any favors to oh, the boring no. romantic subplot no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, i was yeah there's no amount of anything except for cutting the those characters out yeah, because uh, I'm looking again. I'm looking at still shots, and I'm telling you, the the black and white ones look better. They really do. Like with the creature on the bridge and all of that, and that is a really cool giant octopus. Oh, 
Oh, it is awesome. It yeah. really is. Yeah. And uh, again, going with the whole theme of uh, the atomic age, radioactive cause radio or what is it? <laughs> Fallout or whatever uh, uh, makes these creatures grow. Um, it, it's just something that was really uh, uh, a fear of people. They were playing on the fears of people uh, about what this stuff could do because they they had no idea at the time. But um, I mean, this is definitely a lower budget film than Beast and Twenty Thousand Fathoms was. You know, um, I think that they compensate in interesting ways because, like, it kind of opens with like this documentary like description <laughs> of like uh-huh. the merits of nuclear submarines. It's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it feels like a military documentary. Um, yes, exactly. Dude, that's yeah. why I, I was in the right thing at first. Yeah, that, because, that's what I was like, going to say later when yeah. I forgot. Is is why do each of these movies? Why do they have narrators? Yeah, it's I, I don't I don't think it hurts the next film, Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, but in this one it feels like they're just putting gaps in the budget. You know, like they need like a narrator to kind of like catch people up to speed because they don't have enough you know of a filmed thing for it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah they they kind of had holes in the narrative and they needed to let people know how much time had passed in between this scene because mm-hmm. uh, everything still looks the same. Um, you know, but I, in the very beginning when they're filming, they're on a real sub, which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, the, I, I, the, I, fir- the first movie didn't have narration, right? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, didn't, I just not that I remember. Okay. Um, like I said, the next one does have it, but it's not as intrusive or jarring. This one is just like, you know, I, like I said, I felt like I was watching like a military documentary sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, how did they get to film on a real sub if they didn't have any budget? My goodness, they couldn't give the daggone octopus eight legs because they could afford to. Uh, yeah, they were just allowed it. to use the yard, like the shipyards, and they were allowed to go inside the sub and film. <laughs> So, like, they didn't buy the sub. They just brought their camera in there. Uh, and so. they use some of those scenes more than once. There's this one scene where, the, what's his name, falls when they, like, hit something. And I saw that, like, three times during the movie uh, at different times. So they yeah. recycled <laughs> some of their footage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't I didn't mind the, um, the submarine parts. I didn't mind. Uh, I, I like the part where the... Uh, I guess it's uh, people out on the the Navy ship. You know mm-hmm. the, that that was a really cool scene. Where yeah, it, it comes out and it and it just kind of the tentacles coming up outside just, the window. Yeah, yeah. And then and then it and then it bear hugs the ship and just takes it down. Wow. That that yeah. was that was pretty cool. Um, and and again the the scene with the Golden Gate Bridge was was great. It was really, really great, and uh, but I can't get past the the love triangle. I really thought that um, uh, you've already said it, Tammy. Uh, the the guy um, Kenneth Toby, what was his mm-hmm. name? In, in this? Commander he was. What a what a tool! Yeah. I was like, this guy <laughs> she, is. She was a female tool. These whatever new women, female I tell you. <laughs> I don't even understand what his role was. Like, I think he just no. I think he invited himself to the party. Is kind of what it seems like. Here's here's my question. Okay, you've got these two scientists working on this. You know, trying to figure out what this this thing is, and this this commander 
of a, a submarine is just sitting at a desk, like waiting for them to tell him, oh yeah, we got something. Call whoever you need to call. Like what was his role? How does this chain of command work? Yeah. Oh my gosh. He wasn't even busy doing anything. There was nothing else on his desk. No. He just sat at the dinner with him. Oh my gosh. I Showing up at their lab. The scenes were so uncomfortable. The three of them at dinner and stuff. Just yeah. Well, yeah. I, my I favorite we're... scene though is when I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mark. No, go ahead. What's your favorite scene? Now I say when, when he's hitting on her, but when he's smoking in the lab, yeah, he's like that chemicals everywhere. The giant no smoking sign behind him <laughs> in the background. Yes. I'm like, this is so 1950s. I'm loving this. Yeah. <laughs> But that, that scene where he is hitting on her, he takes her into the, the other room yeah. away from the other. And yeah. Who, no means no. Who, who talks <laughs> that close to somebody? They were literally nose to nose. Like, very much. Conversation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just them getting like, his angry gum. at each other and walking away all the time. And like, I'm like, I don't care about this couple. Can we. Yeah. Get back to the freaking octopus or a sixtopus. <laughs> sixtopus. But he was he was definitely a creep, man. He was definitely a creep. And yeah. I hope in movie land, I hope his uh character uh died of cancer or something. But <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Not really, because it's not a it's not a real thing. Oh brother. Um and then I I, I kind of felt like um like you said, they didn't have the budget to really put the monster in as much. So maybe that's why they went with this love triangle. I can't imagine that that oh, yeah. was. It feels kinda, like filler. Yeah. 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 It's all filler. It's all filler. So, um, what else we got? What else? Tell me. Tell me, people. I mean, we get a, a giant tentacle crush. Um, windows getting smashed. I mean, flamethrowers. I mean, that, that rampage is still really good at the end. Um, I don't really want to, I mean, we're, we're kind of harping on the other part of the film, but man, we, we show up for the rampage and that still delivers. Did, um, he did, he did, uh, crush a guy, right? With the tentacle. Right. Right on the street. Yeah. Right? A couple of them, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't I see think the like guy there was a whole bunch of people in the street. You just see the tentacle come down and crush them. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see the person get crushed, but they just disappear under the tentacle. But no, we know what, well. we know what happened. Um, <laughs> did you know that this was uh, a double bill with creature with the atomic brain? Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, sure. me either. It sounds like another uh, drive-in. Yeah, for the future. Since I it's watched just, these. I mean, that's the problem. The majority of the film is stilted. Mm-hmm. You know you. Like I said, the rampage is great at the end, but there's so much exposition, and yes. that you know that that romantic subplot. Not only is it like we don't care; it's confusing because mm-hmm. I'm like, are her and the other scientists together? I can't tell. You know, are her and the military guy now together? Oh wait, now they're not. <laughs> they keep like splitting up and getting back together, and I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> in the in the end, we're at the restaurant. That still didn't make sense to me. I still uh, <laughs> like. I don't know. I don't know who was with who and who knew and who. I don't even care. It was bad. <laughs> yes, it was, bad. it was. Oh, gosh. And they were like getting credit on the 
was it the radio or the TV? Would yeah, it be yeah. TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever. Uh, I I don't have a whole lot more to say about this movie. <laughs> don't. This this is uh, as poor as you can get with script writing, but the the six to plus saves the day. <laughs> Anything with the six to plus. Uh, what about when they um the only thing i will will say is i was a little disappointed in the the uh, spoiler alert the killing of the sixtopus cuz don't they like put dynamite in him or something uh, it was an exploding they put what something to like yeah, it was like a, a harpoon or something almost, right? It was like yeah, a that harpooner to get him right in the right exact spot or whatever, yeah, right? right? They, they they did something like they created a hole with a harpoon or something, then they jammed something in, didn't they? I don't I don't know what they did. Maybe it was the yeah, there was a whole guy. This guy had one shot to get his harpoon in yes, it or whatever. Yes. He was a he was a sharp shooter. Um, and harpooner. I thought that the uh, that climax, that explosion, was weak. It was weak. I'm trying to picture it. I can't even picture it. Now. Exactly. <laughs> you can't picture it because it was weak. It was like, I mean, couldn't couldn't uh, Harryhausen have like blown up his octopus, sixtopus, in a tank and filmed it? I don't know. Uh, no, yeah, it, just, it was it was actually like it was real footage of the bay or something, right? And there was just kind of a little, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you just kind of see the water go up a little bit or something. A little like that. I don't know. It's not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Harryhausen's work. It was whatever the yeah, yeah was, the filmmakers yeah. were doing. It was anticlimactic, is what it was. Yeah. yeah, I did read one thing that was kind of interesting. You know, you talked about how they didn't have permission to shoot in the Golden Gate Bridge. Because they were afraid, you know, at least the city of San Francisco was afraid that people would think the bridge was unsafe yeah. if they saw a sextopus bring it down. Um, so in order to get the uh, footage, they put camera on the back of a bakery truck and kept driving it back and forth across the bridge to get like the the rear screen, you know, rear projection footage mm-hmm. of like the driving Aww. and stuff like that. And so they, they did it illegally. <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Well, what is good is that this same collaboration is what led to earth versus the flying saucers. Um, so this is the film that led to that. Uh, cause it's the same collaborators, Harry Hausen and, uh, and Schneer, Charles Schneer. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it wasn't for this film, we wouldn't have had earth versus the flying saucers. And I did enjoy that one a lot better. So, okay. One point for that. <laughs> well, speaking of points, let's go ahead and read it. Taminator. This is hard because I feel like I, like Harryhausen almost needs to be rated separately because everything he did was great. And then there's this movie that I felt like I had to slog through. Um, so cumulatively between the two canceling each other out, I guess I'd give it a five out of all of the ones that we watched tonight. If, if you guys are going to watch these, don't start with this one. You know, I mean, I, I, you'd be better off to look up the sextopus on YouTube and just see how awesome it is and don't 
you know, make yourself watch the great love triangle because you'll want to, you know, scratch your own eyes out. So I -hmm. guess about a five. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to come in and rank a five, five and a half. Um, uh, it was just really, that character is one of my least favorite characters on screen of all time. That commander (laughs) just did not like him at all. He was a giant douche. Uh, he probably should be involved in the me too movement. Uh, he just was, he was a close talker. He was a (laughs) smoker in places you shouldn't be smoking. It was just, Oh, just couldn't stand him. Um, and, and I would say like, definitely watch this. If you're looking for the monster and just kind of like, don't even worry about trying to follow the story. Just like, Get the DVD or the Blu-ray or whatever, and then just go right by, scrub right by any exposition or story. Trust us. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. You're not going to miss anything. Um, you know, so just watch, watch it for the, for the Harry Housen. So, um, what about you, Vin? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm at a 6.5, um, which is not because I like it more than you guys. It's just the way my rating system works. Uh, and it's really, it's for Harryhausen. I mean, I, I'm kind of the same way. You know, you can, you can fast forward through the rest of it. Just watch the, watch the sextopus stuff. Um, that's, it's still fun. Um, it's just a slog to get to. Uh, but Harryhausen's work kind of stands on its own. And that's, that's really kind of what I'm, you know, given just a little bit of a higher score than I normally would for is it's Harryhausen's work. And especially knowing with what little he had to work with and what he was still able to achieve. Um, you know, this movie would be unwatchable if it wasn't for him. Uh, so that's saying something. Yeah. It it would be a seven for me had the creature had eight legs, but it it gets, (laughs) it gets a, a point and a half off for each leg left off. But no, I'm just kidding. I know Harry did the best. Oh, Harry. <laughs> I know Ray did the best he could. Uh, I just wanted to call this guy Harry. Harry. <laughs> so bad. But, uh, and you know, the first movie we talked about, the the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, that had like a little bit of a, a love story too, but it was watchable. It, it, and it so was, does the next one. Because it, it yeah. was, it, I mean, the characters were at least likable. Right. Yeah. There's not a likable character in this movie. Not mm-hmm. one. Except anyway. the sextopus. <laughs> yeah, I was rooting for the sextopus. Yeah. Just to kill everybody. Yes. You know? <laughs> oh, That's right. what I was missing to see where, where his uh, tentacle comes through the restaurant window and grabs all three of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That would have been. <laughs> That would have been that would have been the perfect ending. The movie would have yes. been a nine and a half if that had happened. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, we're gonna do our last film of the evening, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Something different for a change? Then try the perfect refreshment. Chili Dilly, a delicious pickle treat that's spiced just right for every bite. Economical, too. There's no waste. You eat every bit of the juicy goodness of Chili Dilly. How about trying one right now? Chili Dilly, on sale at our concession stand. You'll love them. All right, we are back. 
and we'll talk about Earth versus the Flying Saucers. We've got uh, 1956 when this one came out in July of 1956. So all three of these movies came out in the summer. Um, I know we didn't uh, really have a summer blockbuster thing until what was the official first one? Jaws. Is that what they they say? The official that was the blockbuster. Yeah, <laughs> the blockbuster. But you know, a lot of these movies did come out. You know, in the summer they knew the kids were out. Uh, and, and these were a big draw, uh, one hour, well, and 23 minutes. It's the only time that the drive-ins would have been open, right? Cause the what I know up there would, you know, summer is the only time you could go to a drive-in. Uh, I don't know. I guess this should have been open in the spring and the fall. Don't you think? Well, I guess. Yeah. yeah. We're going to get technical. Yeah. I'm going to get technical about that. Thing. All right. yeah. Go right ahead. Yes. Um, Directed by Fred F. Sears, writers uh, of the screenplay, Bernard Gordon and George Worthing Yates, who, again, wrote wrote the past one, too. Uh, he was, uh, you know, he did a little bit better of a job in this one. Uh, the stars in this one, Hugh Marlowe. Did anybody know him from anything? Is Dr. Russell A. Marvin? No, not me either. Uh, Joan yeah, Taylor. He was in uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. That's about all I knew him from. Okay. Did that the day the Earth stood still? Was that before or after this? Before it was before this. Nineteen fifty-one. Fifty-one. Yeah. Uh, Joan Taylor as Carol Marvin. Donald Curtis again, right? Was he in the? He was in the last one, right? Donald Curtis. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Major Huglin, Morris Ankrum as Brigadier General John Hanley. John Zaremba as Professor Cantor. Um, Larry J. Blake as motorcycle cop and Grandin Rhodes as general Edmonds. So let's go ahead and roll the trailer and when we get back, we'll talk about it. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. Washington, London, Paris, Moscow are key targets. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? survivors of a disintegrated solar system. At this moment, the remainder of our fleet is circling your globe. What do you want with me? Arrange for your world leaders to confer with us in the city of Washington. They set up an electronic screen. The artillery doesn't penetrate. Never before has the screen reached such heights of excitement. Breathtaking spectacle. Hair-raising terror. See the saucer man's high-frequency disintegrator. See flying saucers travel thousands of miles in seconds. See great cities leveled by flying saucer monsters. Last look. The same kind of thing that's watched us since the beginning of the project. People of Earth, attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. They're coming down to take over. They made that clear to us in the saucer.
best of our knowledge, my wife and I are the only ones left alive. All right, we're back. I uh, just want to give the quick synopsis before we get in to this thing. Extraterrestrials traveling in high-tech, high oh, high t- very high-tech, high-tech flying saucers contact a scientist as part of a plan to enslave the inhabitants of Earth. All right, I'm going to let Vin go first. What did you think? Uh, I had not seen this thing, this movie before, but I had seen clips from it and stills from it. Uh, the saucer crashing in the Washington Monument is pretty famous. I think it's been kind of endlessly copied in various ways. Um, and I really, I, I, I enjoyed this one. Um, it's like the cheaper, simpler version of War of the Worlds, which had come out a few years before. Um, and you know that film treated its destruction more tragically and I think thoughtfully. And its conflict was kind of you know, had more melancholy dread where this film kind of revels in the destruction more, <laughs> you know, the targeting famous monuments and symbols of American idealism. Um, it seems to be having a lot more fun with the destruction. Um, but you know, you, I, I don't know if you mentioned, uh, I don't think I heard it, but this was also one of the writers was Kurt Siodmak, um, who wrote the Wolfman oh, okay. in 1941. Um, this is not the first time we've seen George Worthing Yates. Uh, he did The Amazing Colossal Man. He wrote The Attack of the Puppet People. And he also wrote the story for them. And uh, one of the other writers was Bernard Gordon. And he was blacklisted at the time. He was writing under the pseudonym Raymond T. Marcus. And the director, um, Fred F. Sears, he was kind of this real workhorse director. Um, he was very efficient and prolific. Uh, he directed Rock Around the Clock, which was the first rock musical. And <laughs> he did uh, The Giant Claw from 1957. Um, mm. It's an incredible, so bad it's good <laughs> sci-fi horror, uh, which also stars like Mara Corday, who was quite possibly the most beautiful woman of 1950s horror schlock cinema. Um, but he uh, he actually died of a heart attack in 1957 at the age of 45. I mean, he kind of literally worked himself to death. Um, and he was found uh, by a security guard in the washroom of the offices in Sunset Studios. Um, but uh, there, you know, there, there's actually a like B-grade caliber going on in this film and i think it shows mm-hmm. all right taminator well okay one of the things that i did read about this is that one of the, that they the author of the source material for this was actually um an actual u.s marine corporal donald b kehoe who was an actual like military guy who really believed in flying saucers and so i thought that was kind of cool um yeah the the saucer design was modeled off of his descriptions. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Supposed to accounts, I thought, I, I mean, I'm a believer, so I think that's a really cool way to kind of, to go with this. So, I mean, obviously I think they're starting for a place from a place where there's some heart in it. Um, we didn't, did we give a synopsis or are we going to give a synopsis? Already did. Did you? Okay. <laughs> I did. Extraterrestrials. Traveling in high-tech flying saucers, contact a scientist as part of a plan to enslave the inhabitants of Earth. Sorry, Landon walked in here with the hamster. I might have missed that. I'm sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, here we're, I'm, we're kind of, the other two were kind of similar. Now we're going into, starting into man's fear of the Soviets have started going into space. And, oh, my God, you know, just like what can come from the atomic age now it's what can come from the space age and how 
you know, vulnerable mankind really probably is if they ever really come down to earth. And you could really see the, again, the influence on Mars attacks and Independence Day, you know, where we, they, the, they just kind of show up one day and they pretty easily take us over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're kind of helpless to fight against them. And again, Harry, Harryhausen is here with his models and you see a lot of destruction of like uh, very important landmarks, U.S. landmarks and, you know, uh, just I don't know. We're given like 56 days to respond. And so we're on, you've got like that ticking clock going in the background the whole time. I really enjoyed this one. I thought the aliens themselves left a little to be, I mean, they just didn't that threatening. (laughs) Um, I think they maybe should have left them a little, a little more mysterious, but um, they, they look like something a kid would make out of a cardboard box. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) well, at the end, when they actually take the the thing off, yeah, the helmet off, it it didn't look too bad. No, no, not at all. But it was, it was like, it it was the outfit they were wearing. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it was like, I mean, do they not have knees? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No elbow joints. Yeah. (laughs) They can they can build flying saucers, but they can't like get a pair of. They can't wipe their ass apparently because <laughs> <laughs> their arms don't go that yeah, way. Yeah, I don't know. No joints. Yeah. yeah. They look very like Robbie the robot, you know, yeah. that just that yeah. stiff, that really stiff moving, just kind of silly. Uh, but, but, you know, unfortunately, you don't find out till the end that this, the outfit that they're really wearing is actually really quite complex and can do some pretty cool things. But yeah. we're kind of kept from knowing that the whole time. But I don't know. I enjoyed this one. So. Yeah, uh, I definitely enjoyed this one probably the most out of the three that we watched because I thought it was, uh, yes, it's it's older, it's in black and white. Did you guys watch black and white or is there a color version of yeah. this too? I think it's black know. and white for this one. Okay, yeah, so black and white. Maybe, uh, I don't remember. But I think they did some imaginative things with the way that um, the the aliens communicated uh, mm-hmm. I, I loved the. They had this thing where they could like mind control uh, people, and then I loved the translation mm-hmm. thing that they had, where they could, you know, because that's a big, that's a big thing in these kind of movies. Like, what does the alien know English? <laughs> you know, how do you how are you going to communicate? And it was neat. They had this like translation thing where. Mm-hmm. They, they were able to understand each other and um, it kind of made you think like, okay, were, are these visitors who are friendly or whatever, but nope, nope. They, they're, they're coming because what's, it was their planet exploded or something. Their solar system exploded. I think uh, that was it. Their solar system exploded or something and they were looking yeah. for a new home. And yeah, I don't remember. was it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was it. I believe they left a trail of destruction behind them. I think they'd done that a couple times, and now yeah. they've shown up to, you know, have their way mm-hmm. with airplanes. Yeah, but I thought it was uh, I thought it was smart and, and, and done well, and I think this is the strongest script out of the three movies mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that we watched. Um, I think the acting in this movie is probably the best out of the three, mm-hmm. uh, and I. 
I guess we do have a little bit of a a romantic thing, but it's not yeah, really in the forefront. What I love is, I mean, first of all, I like these two central protagonists. I like the uh-huh. actors and the characters, yeah. but they're mm-hmm. they're married. They they're yes. newlyweds. Yes. We yeah. don't have to watch a corny romantic subplot. They already have sex. Like we're good, <laughs> right? You know, it's we we know that they their intimate relationship. We don't have to, you know, <laughs> waste time with it. And I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, don't we see uh we see some really cool sets like with the the Capitol building? Yeah. Yeah. With the top blown off, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, like you said, the Washington Monument, which is kind of iconic. Um, I, I thought that, I mean, I don't know. You, you see it land on the White House lawn, right? I believe so. I'm looking at a picture of it. Uh, and <laughs> it, it looks pretty fake, but I'm not, <laughs> I don't but know. It's charming. It's it fake, is but charming. It's charming you when know? did. When did the whole flying saucer thing start? Because you know now nowadays where you know, UFOs or spaceships or whatever they don't always we don't always think of it looking like just like a plate, like a flying saucer. Like this is a pretty, I guess for back then in the fifties this would have been very sleek and whatever. But it, it just kind of looked. It looked good for 1956, but it just looked kind of uninspired, like as far as like the design of it. I don't know. That's just yeah, me. Said, like, and hell, Roswell the- was late 1940s, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, Tammy had mentioned uh, Major Donald Keogh, and he wrote about flying disc sightings. You know, and his he had flying saucer books. There was a uh, flying saucers are real from 1950 and flying saucers from outer space, 1953. And I think those are the kind of things that like, especially like kids were reading a lot of, and these mm-hmm. were very popular books. And he was kind of, I think that he was a pretty big pop culture figure. Uh, yeah. So I think that maybe he's kind of responsible for popularizing the flying saucer ideas. Yeah. Well, I did that um Harry, um, Ray Harryhausen came up with the idea of it needed to spin to portray mm-hmm. motion. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that idea that it spins around like that, I read that that came from him. So I mean, because you know, with his stop motion, he had to somehow get it to look like it was repelling itself through space. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm looking at these pictures, and those <laughs> daggone suits look so phallic. They do. I mean, the arms look like giant penises. It's <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. What what were they thinking? I'm sorry. I just can't. I don't understand. Um, I, I like the um, the scenes where they were like in combat in the air with the planes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the biggest surprises for me was yeah. the use of stock footage uh-huh. and the actual stock footage that they were using. Yeah. Because that was like, that was serious stuff. I, I, I went looking to see what stuff they were using because I was so kind of shocked by it. Yeah. Um, and they, one of the ones is uh, when the aliens, when, when they're like, they're showing off what they can do and they blow up a, you know, a warship. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually the destruction of the HMS Barham, which was a mm-hmm. British battleship and it was blown up in World War II. Uh, and it's, I, I found the original footage when I was looking through things and it was sunk off the Egyptian coast by a German U-boat 
And but there were a hundred or sorry, eight hundred and sixty-two crewmen who died. You know, approximately two-thirds of the crew. And the destruction was captured on film by a news cameraman who was kind of on another vessel. But um, the actual footage is pretty harrowing. You know, like the ship is capsizes quickly and it exploded after only about four minutes. And you in the footage you can actually see like men scurrying and diving, you know, on yeah. the hole going into the water as it explodes. And I guess that they uh, they didn't reveal what it was when this was shown in England um, because they knew it would upset people, uh-huh. you know. Um, and one of the other big ones that they show. Oh man, it's you, you're. I mean, you're you're watching people die in that stock footage, actually. Yeah. Um, and the other one was an aircraft that is shown being hit by an alien ray and explodes. And that stock footage from a real military aircraft accident that happened in an air show in Spokane, Washington. In, it was July 23rd, 1944, where there were these three planes flying in formation. And the one on the right kind of crashed into the center plane and both went down and both pilots and co-pilots were killed. Mm-hmm. So like when you're watching this stock footage, you're like, oh, the, the people are like dying like right there on these things. I was, mm-hmm. I was really kind of surprised at the kind of stock footage they were using for this. No, that wouldn't fly today. <laughs> <laughs> Not not no. to make a joke of that, but it wouldn't it wouldn't. No, but fly this is only like a decade later. I mean, this would be like you know. Can you imagine them showing like you know scenes from nine eleven and integrating, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff in there. I mean, it's not that different from that kind of thing. You know, it's no. Nope. Yeah, I, I know that uh, people were up in arms about uh, the cursed films, you know, showing the actual footage uh, of the the deaths on the Twilight Zone. Yeah, set, yep. remember, you know, the yeah, people the were like, wow, yeah. I can't believe they actually sh- showed that. But, you know, that's, that's what they were doing back then. I mean, I, I, I guess there wasn't uh, the media coverage, you know, so they, they probably got away with it and just no one ever really even noticed, you know. But, all right, what else we got? Um, I think a lot of this footage would have already been shown in newsreels. I was, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking. Mad. So the, I mean, people would have seen it at at the time when it happened, but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Like the ship exploding, that was shown. That was shown in a newsreel. I'm pretty sure right after that happened, it was a mm-hmm. news cameraman who captured the the ship exploding. Um, yeah. But still, I mean, it's you know that's 800 guys that just went up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else we got, guys? Um, you mentioned the kind of fun sci-fi ideas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their communication. I kind of like that little thing about how they speak too fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that it wasn't until the battery died on the tape, you know, the, the tape player that he could actually realize, he realized that there was a message in there. Mm-hmm. I thought that stuff was kind of cool. Um, yeah. th- there were some neat sci-fi. I mean, they're not all original sci-fi ideas, but they're fun. Um, and, you know, they it's, it's a great, great incorporation into the story, I thought. Yeah. That voice on that tape is actually Paul Freeze, and I, when I was listening to it, I was like, "Oh my God, that's the ghost host from the Haunted Mansion at Disney World." Have you guys been on that? Have you? Been I, I have. <laughs> I was like, "Like, oh my God, that sounds like the ghost host." So I looked, and sure enough, it was. And um, I mean, he his voice, like he was a huge voice actor, and he was in almost like every single. Um, Rankin Bass movie, and he was uh, <laughs> Boris from you know Boris and Natasha Bullwinkle, and mm-hmm. he like if you looked into him, he, he's done so many voices, and, and when I was watching, I was like, oh wow, that's the ghost house. So. Yeah, um, 
this was the last movie that Harry Housen used stop motion to create collapsing buildings. He said I had was, read that. He said it was way too much work. But yeah, but I'm pretty sure in um, the film that he did after this, mm-hmm. you know, which was uh, was it 20 million miles to Earth. When I watched that, I'm pretty sure there was also stop motion collapsing buildings in there. Like you see the creature because he's in Rome, and you see him like breaking down columns and stuff like that, and um, that looked like stop motion. Maybe he didn't consider that the same thing, but yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, those the destruction scenes are fun. You know, no, the, they the, are. the base attack I thought looked really good. A lot mm-hmm. of a lot of building explosions. Yeah. Like real build, they're like blowing up real buildings, you know, <laughs> and then putting in the stop motion. And you don't see that very often in this. I mean, this was like, it was like a Michael Bay film at certain points. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you, you talked about the kind of brainwashing. I like how you can actually see like their brains when they're getting scanned. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> cool touches. Yeah. And then I yeah. liked the, I liked how they kind of took that. It was a, the general, right? The girl's yeah. father. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of, they they got all the information from his brain that they needed, <laughs> um, and uh, th- that was kind of neat. And just the way he looked, like, w- did he? I, I forget. Did he come back from that, or did he die? He was left like an empty husk, and so yes, technically, like he was dead. I mean, you know, they tell her like. I mean, I think she sees him, right? But who, who was thrown dead. out of the flying saucer? They dropped, I think, didn't didn't they drop him out of the flying saucer? Yeah. Yes, they, but I think Amber already saying they had used him up. Yeah, yeah okay. and then just, yeah. He's like the little body falling from the saucer. So, so he was just, you know, he was trash to them. So he yeah. just got thrown away. Up. Yeah, which is, I mean, I, I think comparing this to, say, the, earth, the day that the Earth stood still, isn't this a little bit more... Like violent? Yeah, yeah, Day of the Earth Stood Still. I don't think it's very violent. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but it's it's a much more cerebral film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he kind of gives the ultimatum to people. You know, uh, but it's not like it's not action packed or anything like that. It's more of a thinking person's you know yeah. sci fi film. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this is like like I said, I think it was 1950. Was it three that War of the Worlds came out? Mm-hmm. Um, three or four, maybe 53, but, uh, you know, that one, it's more like, you know, it's, it's more tragic when everything's happening, mm-hmm. you know, and you see the, you see the saucer, the, well, the, the spaceships or whatever, you know, going through and like, you know, beaming at people and everything. Um, and this one is just more, you know, it's it, like I said, it's, it's just, it's more rollicking, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> you're, it's, it's much more action adventure in a lot of ways. Um, especially at the at, in the last act when they're just like driving around the jeep and like using their little sonic gun or something like that to, <laughs> to bring mm-hmm. them down and you know like get in the jeep again and go somewhere else and we're gonna have another set piece go on. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you like Mars Attacks, you can tell this. I mean, Tim Burton says this is his inspiration, and there's that whole yeah. like third act where they're just blowing stuff up for blowing stuff up sake. Yeah. Just it's fun, you know. <laughs> I've never I've never seen that. Right. I haven't seen yeah. since it came out. You know what I did watch for the first time two weeks ago, uh, besides for this, is uh, Invaders from Mars. Really? From from the 80s. Have you seen that, that one? 
Yeah, I, I'm just speechless right now that you've never seen Mars Attacks. I've seen that like 500 times. <laughs> never saw it. Invaders from, it- the Mar- Invaders from Mars, sorry, you mentioned that. That was one of the few movies that really scared me as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, you know, like they body snatchers, the parent, that stuff they body snatch the parents, yeah. and the yeah. the actual creatures were kind of cool. Yeah, they were cool looking. Yeah. yeah. Have you was- seen the original? No. From '54, maybe, nope. or something like that. I mean, it's it, it to an adult, it's really corny. I mean, you can see the zippers going up the backs of the aliens, and like <laughs> this one kid basically just tells this astronomer about like the thing happening and he gets a little astronomy lesson. And then like the astronomer's like, oh, I'm going to contact the military. And of course the military shows up. It's that whole like chain of command. We are like, how the hell do these people have power to call up generals? You know, yeah. um, none of that stuff makes sense. But I mean, to an adult, that stuff's creepy. I mean, sorry to an adult. This stuff is cheesy, but to a kid, mm-hmm. like kids talk yeah. about watching even the old one when they're young and it's totally creepy because they don't see the zippers. They don't see that stuff. And this whole like idea of like their parents being taken and, you know, it's that that's a real nightmare fuel yeah. movie for kids who grew up in the fifties, just like the eighties one was kind of nightmare fuel for me. Yeah. No, I thought I thought yeah. it was uh very interesting. I'd I'd like to get it on uh Blu ray or something. It was it was definitely worth a watch. I know it's it's considered one of Hooper's lesser films, I think, but Well, that's why I never had watched it. Because I was like I, it is what it is. I just haven't seen it. It's not my thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm trying to watch some of these older movies. And uh, not that it's that old, but man, it was, it was good. It was good. Cool. I'll have to return to it. Yeah. But uh, again, going going back to this, I, I think for 1956. Do what? Have you guys seen the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Uh, Two years ago, on um, on the drive, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> no, no fart noises. I know. That. Yeah. Anyway, I think for for the fact that this is a 1956 movie, I thought it was uh, action packed, but it also uh, did have some really cool, um, you know, sci fi type uh, stuff. Uh, I like the acting. Uh, there, there were likable characters. Uh, it, it, to me, it was you know, it, it was uh, it was right up there with uh, some of the better uh, alien flying saucer type movies from the fifties and sixties. So I would I would recommend this one. And I think if if people you know if you enjoy watching like Plan Nine from Outer Space, uh, you can totally see where you know Ed Wood was tr- what he was trying to do. If you see this movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, trying and failing at doing, uh, yes. but he's basically trying to like remake this film in a certain way and not not succeeding. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's rate it. Let's rate it. I'm gonna start, and I'm gonna give it an eight point five out of ten. I thought it was very well done, and I enjoyed it, and I will probably watch this one again. Uh, Vin. Uh, I'm also at an 8.5, but this time it's not like all for Harryhausen. You know, um, yeah. Harryhausen has these spinning saucers and stuff like, and everything that he does, I think, is great. But he's not the only reason to watch it this time. You know, he he definitely helps the film. Um, I think he makes it better than it would otherwise be. But really, I'm not bored when the Harryhausen stuff isn't going on. 
You know, mm-hmm. I like the I like the characters. I like the actors who are portraying the characters, and I'm having a good time even when the saucers aren't blowing stuff up. So that says something. I think this is a genuinely fun movie. Not great, not the best, <laughs> uh, but this is a good time. So eight point five. All right, Terminator. Um. I think I would also say 8.5 and pretty much for all the same reasons. And also, um, I liked that the lady scientist was kind of, I don't know if maybe it's because they were married or whatever, but she was really just assumed to be an equal and treated Mm. thus Mm. throughout the whole movie. She was my favorite of the three women scientists that we had. (laughs) (laughs) She wasn't, she wasn't a love triangle hoe. That's what we're trying to say. (laughs) She's a properly married lady, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'm just—I'm a sci-fi buff, so I mean, I like old '50s sci-fi movies anyway. But right on, Vin, when you're like, it was just as enjoyable, even with when the Harryhausenness wasn't going on, which yeah. you could necessarily say about some of the other things we saw. So, yeah, this is—I would definitely recommend this one. Very good. Well. That is going to do it for our triple feature, Ray Harryhausen. And, uh, yeah, if you uh, want to see these, most of them are available on Amazon. Uh, you got to pay two ninety nine or three ninety nine for them. Uh, if you're into this kind of stop-motion stuff or you're, or, or you're thinking about getting into it and you just want to see it, I'd, I'd say every single one of them is worth a couple yeah. bucks to rent. You know, uh, the 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 second one, it came from beneath the sea, is a slog to get through. So proceed with caution. But it, I still think it's worth a few bucks uh, to see the um, the sextopus. That, that's just what I'm saying. Just also, if people want to see him step up his game, uh, twenty million miles to Earth, I think is free on Tubi right now. Okay, um, so it's definitely worth watching. I mean, even if you guys check it out, you'll see. You know, he gets markedly better, um, and that's yeah. that's saying something. Uh, well, Beast from Three Thousand Fathoms is free on if you have a Roku. It's on one of those more obscure. I don't know. Okay. Just do a search for it, and it's free out there if you have a Roku. And Vin, you you had mentioned a uh, some sort of uh, documentary that you would uh, watch. Uh, yeah, there's one that's free on Prime right now. Um, it's uh, it's called. Special Effects Titan. Yeah, is that what it was? Gary Housen, Special Effects Titan, made in 2011, and it's on Amazon Prime. Yep. All right. Yeah, so if you it's want to know more about... It's on Tubi. It's on Tubi? Yep. There you go. So if you want to know more about Ray Harryhausen and his career, uh, go ahead and check that out. So, All right. Well, let's go ahead and give our uh, plugs here. Taminator, where can people find you? Just the normal on Facebook, on our group page, or on my own page. Hanging All out. All righty. How about you, Vin? Uh, you can find me as Vin Horrorcast on Facebook. Uh, my blog is com. That's my horror blog. And then I have another blog where I'm just kind of putting other things. Um, that's uh, scabsandotherthings.wordpress.com. All right. Well, you can contact us. Uh, me or just anybody on the on the on the show on our Facebook page. It's just horrorcast. Uh, it's a group, so you have to ask to be in, and we will be 
very uh, pleased to let you in if you're nice. Uh, and then if you want to email us, it's askthehorrorcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at the HCast and on Instagram, the Horrorcast. So that's going to do it for episode 97 of the Horrorcast, where it's all killer, no filler. Stay scared. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Yeah.